So we recently watched uh, the talk that Jordan Peterson just released on his YouTube channel, I think it was last week, on uh, belief in God. Uh, we'll have a link to that one in the show description below. It's a talk from, I, I think he did it last year when he was in Australia, but he put it online because he'd recently done a a talk with Dennis Prager of uh, Prager University where he talked about this question, which he, you know, he brings up pretty regularly in, in public, and that's the his response to the question that he often gets, like, do you believe in God? And he's often said he doesn't like that question. He doesn't like answering that question. So in this talk, um, he goes into, in depth, he goes into why he doesn't like that question. And he kind of gave a few kind of summary points in, um, in his discussion with Prager on it, but uh, this talk is kind of like the most in-depth version. And so we're going to talk about a few of the things that he says because, you know, as usual, he says some really interesting things. Um, maybe we'll start out just by playing a clip because um, he, I guess this, it might not seem related um, to the question, but it's, it is like uh, Jordan says at one point that this is like the thing that he knows, like uh, it's kind of like the deepest truth that he's aware of that, that he like feels, um, feels and knows to be true. It's this, uh, his, this idea about the nature of consciousness. And this will have relation, uh, you know, as we'll see afterwards, to, to the question to, and to the idea of, uh, of, and the practice of belief in God, whatever that means. So let's just play that clip, uh, this, this first clip on consciousness, and then we'll discuss it afterwards. Human consciousness is that faculty that confronts potential itself I think there's good neurological evidence for this, by the way, for those of you who are scientifically minded, because uh, we build circuits within us for habitual action that we've practiced many times that seem to run in a very deterministic fashion. And we are a strange combination of deterministic and non-deterministic, as far as I can tell. But what our consciousness seems to be for is to encounter those things that we have not yet encountered. And those things that we have not yet encountered seem to me to be those things that have not yet been brought into being. And so you could say that what our consciousness is for is for the encounter with potential. You know, that our consciousness is for the, it's not for the past, it's not even for the present. It's to transform the future into the present. You have some apprehension about what role your choices might make in transforming that potential into one form of actuality or another. I mean, you certainly know that there are dreadful mistakes that you might be very tempted to make that would produce all manner of hell around you and still be tempted to do it. It seems like it's sitting there right in front of you as a possibility. You also know that, you know, you could haul yourself up out of bed and attend to your duties and do the sorts of things that you're supposed to and set a few things right that day and that week and that likely things would at least not be worse and they would probably be better. And uh, I, I believe that, I do believe that, I don't understand how this can be the case. I don't understand how it is that consciousness, consciousness can function in that way because I think to understand that, we would have to understand what it means for the future to be only potential rather than actuality, and who the hell understands that? I mean, no one. And then we'd have to understand how it is that our conscious choices and our conscious ethical choices transform that potentiality 
into actuality, into reality, into the present and the past. And we certainly, well, we certainly act as if we believe that that's what we do. We upbraid ourselves. For example, when we do a bad job of it, we're upset with our children and those we love if we don't believe that they're living up to their potential. We're guilty and ashamed when we make choices that we feel are inappropriate. We understand to some degree that the manner in which time lays itself out has something to do with the ethics of our choice. You're called upon initially to act out the spark of divinity that's within you by confronting potential with the logos that's within you, which means to take the opportunities that are in front of you the potential future, and to transform it into the present in the best possible way using truth and courage and careful articulation as your, as your, as your, as your, as your guide. So that's the first thing you're called on to do. That, that's a major deal there. That's a tough one. And then the second is to make the proper sacrifices. That's the Cain and Abel story. It's like you, you want something, you genuinely want it, you want to set the world straight, then you let go of what's necessary and you pursue. You let go of what isn't necessary, no matter what it is. No matter what it is. So that was actually a, a couple clips back to back. One from, you know, close, closer to the beginning of the talk and then one closer to the end. And, uh, you know, with a, just a few sentences cut out here and there. And so right at the end, you got the, he made clear the connection, because at the end he was giving those two <clears throat> kind of moral imperatives that uh, he was kind of distilling from the Bible talks that he, he gave on Genesis a couple of years ago. And so you can see the connection there, that he's got this, I, this idea of the nature of consciousness, which is like the confrontation uh, with potential, with pure potential, and then somehow, you know, mysteriously, enigmatically, like bringing that into actuality, making it real, and it is through the the uh, the use of our consciousness and like the function of our consciousness that we're able to do that. And the connection with the belief in God is that, um, like, if uh, from like a Christian perspective, um, using the you know the stories in the Old Testament, the New New Testament as a as a guide, there are certain things that go along with that. So that's what he's giving in the second part, where he gives those two kind of um, those two things that you have to do, like those, those have to do with, with what you might call a belief in God. Um, the idea of, of putting that consciousness to, to use in order to present the, or to, to create the best you possible uh, and the best world possible because you are an integral part of the world and your decisions um, like influence, influence the world, influence everything around you. And the second one is to, to make sacrifices because every choice is a sacrifice. Every choice is, uh, is a choice to do one thing to the exclusion of all other things. And all other things can be an infinite number of possibilities, but you're collapsing that down into one, one possibility that you're actualizing, one potential that you're bringing into the world. So... Um, so really, when, when he's talking about belief in God, he's got this as a background, that this is the nature of, of reality, the nature of, of um, at the very least, the nature of um, human experience. And that, that nature of human experience, like, uh, that sets the rules, basically. That sets the, the chessboard. It's like, here are, the, here are the parameters within which we can operate in the world. And with that in mind, that will... Um, well, with that in mind, that means that we have that we do make choices. We do choose which world we bring into being, and there will 
then be the beliefs on which uh, we base those choices, because all choices will be rooted in some kind of deeply held belief. Um, and so if you presume to say that you believe in God, that is making a very deep statement, according to Peterson, about like not only the nature of reality, but the nature of your life personally, because if you believe that, then it should... Um, it should affect the way you behave in the world and should affect like the life that you live and the person that you actually are. That'll actually get into the, the second clip where he talks about the nature of belief. So uh, let's listen to that clip now. Let's watch it, and then we'll kind of put the two together afterwards. Like, what right do I have to say that, to make that claim? I believe in God. Well, what's the claim? Is that the claim that I'm a good person somehow? Because you'd think that if you believed in God, actually... Like, like seriously, that you'd be a good person, like, right now, because, well, <laughs> well, for obvious reasons, I would think. And so if that hasn't happened in some sort of miraculous sense, so that you're the best person you could possibly imagine being on an ongoing basis, and then terrified of, of deviating from that path in a serious manner, then I don't see why you have the right to say that you believe in God. Just because you make a claim to moral virtue, let's say, your belief in God, which I, th I can't see how you can make a higher claim to moral virtue than that. You know, I mean, agnostic, atheistic, I, I don't really care. The, the, the purpose, the point is something like this. Imagine something of ultimate transcendent value. I don't care whether you believe in it or not, but imagine that something like that exists, and then you swear allegiance to it, which is to say, I believe in this. I mean, there's a heavy moral burden that comes along with that, just to allow yourself to utter the words without feeling that you should be immediately struck down appropriately by lightning. And so, well, and so I think that's why that question makes me uncomfortable. So I guess that kind of sums it up. Because when I first, you know, when I think maybe though the first time I heard him answer that question or uh, evade that question, um, you know, he didn't really get into it in that much, in that much depth, you know, to the, to the degree that he gets into in this lecture that he gave, um, in this, you know, or the talk that he gave. Um, so, because, and when I first heard this, it kind of struck me as odd. I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of a, a, an interesting way of putting it. Because I'd never, I'd never actually thought about this particular question in this manner before. It was, for me, it was always like, uh, um, you know, either you, you say you believe something or you don't. And if you believe in it, you've convinced, con convinced yourself of it based on some kind of like a rational, rational grounds. But, but he kind of, he takes it from a totally different angle. Like, um, like that doesn't seem intuitive to, well, on, on first sight because, and I think, well, just look at the number of people, for instance, who say they, they believe in God or they don't believe in God. And when you, when you look at someone like Peterson, and then you look at all the people that say that, you realize how, how shallow, you know, most people's belief or most people's understanding of what it means when they say they believe in something is. And here's Peterson like laying out something that once you hear it, it says, oh yeah, well that makes, that makes total sense. Because um, even if you just take something simple, like when someone, like like uh, um, like in a court of law or something, when there, there's a witness that says they says something, and then you either believe them or you don't believe them. If you believe them, then there are certain things that go along with that belief. You will act in such a way that is uh, um, that reflects that belief. 
essentially. So, and, and it doesn't even have to be that. It can be as simple as like um, um, opening up a drawer and, you know, the drawer in your kitchen to get some silverware out. You open it with the belief that the silverware will be in there when you open it, or that's the drawer that it's for. So, if you, if you actually believed it, that's what you do. If you didn't believe there was silverware in there, um, you wouldn't open the drawer. Or, uh, like, maybe to, to find an, another example, like, if you, if you s say you believe in something, like, let's say, like, I believe that you, Corey, are, you know, a person worth talking to, and I want to hear what you have to say. And let's say I say that I believe that. But let's say that in practice, I totally ignore you, and I never listen to what you have to say. Like, there's, there's a disconnect between my stated belief and the, the action that should go along with that belief. They, they, the two should go together. If you believe something, you should act in such a way that demonstrates that belief. And that's all he's saying here. It's like it's, it doesn't matter whether it's something extremely simple um, and mundane or if it's the, the biggest question uh, about life, the universe, and everything. So he's essentially saying, well, this is the biggest question. This is, the most, this is potentially the most important, the import, most important, the most valuable belief that a person can have, and people will just... Uh, you know, treat it as if it's just a, a simple belief. When there there are so many things that come along with it that are aren't even thought about or are ignored um, or just aren't um, that most people just don't think about. They don't they don't think about it deeply enough to to get to that level of of like analysis. Yeah, I what you say. There's so many things that go along with that. Like you said, that the question of do you believe in God comes off as just like this Disney World kind of fairy tale type question that's ignoring, like Peterson points out, all of, and what you point out, everything that goes along with it, which is just eons of history and thinking and, more, and moral conduct, ideals, and uh, a whole theology uh, that and a metaphysics that that has a certain view on the world and what it means to be a human being what it means to face reality what's what's right and what's wrong and an idea about the ultimate you know the ultimate thing that connects all of existence which is god you know, this, this idea that, you know, it's just, do you believe in God when, you know, somebody, you know, I, I don't get asked that question very often. I'm sure most people don't really get asked that question very often. But when I think about it, I think that if people were to ask me that, I would feel like it was a little bit intrusive because you don't get the impression that that's, they're asking you, what are your deepest thoughts about the, you know, the existence or non-existence of an ultimate, you know, binding force that that, you know, instills value in the universe. You know, it's just, it's something, and especially at this point in time, it's just such a minefield of, you know, just so many contradictions about, you know, Christianity and, you know, Islam, and mm -hmm. and there's just so many different things in the identity politics on, you know, both sides of the, you know, political spectrum that just that simple question, do you believe in God, just comes off as, very trite and very kind of naive and and juvenile and i can see why it would why it would irk someone like peterson and why he brings back to the conversation all of those elements especially the moral imperative that goes along with believing that there is a supreme re 
a supreme deity that rules the cosmos, you know, and, you know, God, the idea of, do you believe in God? Like he, he asked in the, in the speech, you know, is that just the words? What are you really asking me? Just do do I believe in God? Because to believe in God is, is to believe in something that, that is just theoretically, you know, there, you don't really have necessarily you or we haven't had for eons uh, evidence to support in any any sort of meaningful meaningful uh, way. You don't have you know the the material evidence, so to speak. There's plenty of propaganda out there that materialism is all that exists, and and that's held sway for a long time. But you know to to venture into the topic. You know, just in public, without even a chance. You know, just with a, an idea like now, you have one minute to <laughs> to to solve the mysteries of existence. Well, well and I think, <laughs> here's now go. I think one of he said this before too, and I think he said it in this talk. Is another thing is well, what's the motivation of the person asking the question? Because oftentimes it's it seems like as as um, um, as polite as the question may be, it's kind of like a like, are you or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party, except the reverse? It's like, it's asking the question, like, are you part of the club? It's like, well, do you believe in God? Like, are you one of us, the us Christian believers? Or, you know, put any other, like, religious identity group, you know, in any other context, and that's it's the same thing. It's like, are you a member of the club? And it's like, that that really, I think, is is oftentimes where that question is coming from when people ask that question. Um, so you've got, like, you can... Uh, you can already just like eliminate like maybe ninety percent of like the instances of that question being asked just by people at people trying to confirm that that uh, you're part of their club. Then maybe there's maybe I'm being generous that, that there's ten percent you know that aren't that, but one might just just be uh, like an, an honest question. It's like, oh well, do you believe in God? Like I haven't really thought it through, but I'm interested in something, and I'm not really qu- quite sure what I'm interested in, so I'm going to ask this question because I think it might go in an, in, in an interesting direction. But when you ask that question too, like Peterson, one of Peterson's other responses, well, what do you mean by belief and what do you mean by God? Because there are all kinds of assumptions behind the idea of God. Like, well, what do you mean by God? There are there are potentially as many um, as many variations on what God is, what that what that word means, as there are people that live on this planet, and so like because each person will have an individualized experience of of that word in their, you know, growing up, the ideas that have become like, you know, accreted to that word. And, and then they're like their own unique personal experiences that contribute to that effect. And so what do you, like, what does anyone actually mean by that? Then you have to get into the details. Well, what kind of, what kind of God are you talking about? Because there are, even within any religion, there are competing theologies and like what, what is or isn't the nature of God? What, what, um, like, well, what is it? So even in even in Christianity, there are there are a whole history of competing ideas about the nature of God and what that what that means. So when someone says they believe in, you can have two people saying they believe in God and and like patting each other on the back and uh, you know glad that they agree with each other on something, and they they can have completely different ideas of of what that actually means. Yeah, later one of them is burned at the stake yeah. for heresy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then belief too. So he gets into like the, the the nature of belief here too, because like I said, like in in most cases, it just seems like a very mundane thing. And and you can have like false beliefs, or you can have beliefs in something that don't warrant any kind of like uh, deeply held conviction. And um, like with any belief, I think uh, 
um, well, with with what I'd call like mundane beliefs or, well, there's got to be a scale, right? A scale mm-hmm. of, of, of belief from like the things you can be most certain about to the things that you can be least certain about. And where does belief fall in that spectrum, right? Because I think there are some things that everyone believes on some level, whether they say it or not. And um, like, so Peterson gets into these kind of things, just like the philosophers that we've discussed get into this, like, uh, you know, like Collingwood and Whitehead and, uh, you know, Griffin, these things like the, these inescapable um, presuppositions that are, that are behind your, the, the actions of everyone. So like we, we act as, just like he says, we act as if we are like, uh, a, like consciousness or experience, like confronting potential. Everyone acts as if that's the case. There's no one that acts as if um, that weren't the case. Otherwise, like, it's just, it's impossible. Um, whether they say it or not, it's the same thing like, you know, believing that truth doesn't exist. You can't, you can't possibly actually believe that. The, the idea that truth exists is presupposed by any action or, or statement that you make about anything. It's just, it's one of those guiding, um, like, overarching principles that are inescapable in your, in your everyday life. And, like, for, for as long as you're awake, it's like those are operative and you can't escape them. So, like, there would be those, and, and those can be, like, implicit or, you know, uh, not explicitly stated, those, those kinds of beliefs. They're, like, at the root of, of human consciousness, at the, at the root of our experience, that we, we can't experience anything outside of those. Then you can have the, the things that you're pretty certain about, like, almost, like, 99%, like, you can be sure that, you know, the, the, like, some object is going to be where you left it. And there will be, like, um, certain cases where it might be missing, uh, and those will be exp- explainable in, the, in that 1%. It's like, oh, well, um, you know, I moved it and didn't realize it or forgot about it, or someone else moved it, had access to it and moved it. But, like, for the most part, um, you, can, you can be fairly certain that that object, like, still exists. It hasn't just popped out of existence. But leaving open that tiny possibility that it can pop out of existence, that maybe it can. And I think uh, that's kind of more controversial, but I, I'd even be open to those possibilities. That the, that the there there are anomalies in like physical reality where things go wonky, and uh, and you can't necessarily explain it. So so even even given the the things that we about like the physical world that we can be fairly certain about, there's still a tiny bit of room for error. But then you get into the things like you know like in a court case where there's conflicting testimony, and it's like, well, what do you believe? Well, people believe things all the time, right? Especially, I mean, you see this. It's this is almost inescapable that people will read a story about uh, like a, a criminal court case and they've made up their mind, right? B- based on the the limited reporting they've seen on a fraction of the evidence that was present, presented in trial, they know he's guilty. They know she's she's guilty. Whatever they've already made their made up their minds. They believe in something that they probably shouldn't have that level of belief about because they're uh, well. You just can't be certain. Like and and you'd. Th- You'd think that I, I think this is you know, probably something that should be taught early on in school is is the you know to basically to have a, a critical mind about things. You can't know certain things for certain, especially when you don't have enough evidence for it. You can give a, a, a hunch or a guess and say, well, you know, based on what I've seen, I think this is probably the most reasonable explanation. But I might be wrong because, yeah, because you might be wrong. And to 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 not admit that to yourself, and like to not say that when you're when you're expressing this, you know, firm belief about something that you can't possibly be sure about, I think is just uh, like irresponsible. Not only intellectually irresponsible because the like the evidence do- doesn't justify that level of belief, but it's irresponsible to 
to spread that belief, spread that certainty to other people when, when you know, they have even less uh, like grounds for belief. Because now they're believing you because you believe it because they like you. And they haven't even seen any of the evidence. They've just seen your opinion on it, which is based on you know, a limited presentation of a fraction of the, of the data. So, um, so that's why I think there's this kind of spectrum. Like there, I don't think that we, that, well, I don't think anyone that says they don't believe in anything um, is even t telling them, themselves the truth. I think they're lying to, to themselves and to the people around them, whether they know it or not. But the, there's a, the, there is a spectrum of the things that, that are actually deeply, deeply believed to the things that, um, that can't, be, can't even be conceivably deeply believed, you know, whether you say it or not. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so then where does this question, what to, like, do you believe in God, you know, fall in, in there? Um, that's a that's a question. That's that's something that's probably pretty hard to answer. Because on the one hand, you could make an an argument that on some level, um, people act people do act as if God exists. It may be one of those those inevitable like uh, inescapable presuppositions of just action. But that will depend on like um, on the like a a metaphysical description of the nature of reality and whether that actually makes sense or not. But it could be that a specific, you know, belief in God about a certain type of God, um, uh, you know, one of those endless varieties of, of, you know, defining that word, it may be that you have no grounds for belief in that. And it, and it is just blind faith. Blind faith as, you know, the, in the same sense of, of a person, you know, having blind faith that this person's guilty or innocent based on no evidence, based on just that they don't, they don't like their face or something. Um, so there's... Even within that entire, even within that question, there's an entire range of possibilities depending on you, how you tackle it. Tackle it, depending on how you look at the question, depending on um, you know what you what you bring to the question and how far you go into it. So, um, it is you know a dumb question. Like, just from just from that perspective, it's a dumb question. Um, you, people are allowed to ask dumb questions, but it doesn't mean they aren't dumb. <laughs> so. The, like a, a more appropriate question might be <clears throat> might be like what is God or what is the nature of belief, but then when you're actually asking that question, I think that uh, that's why Peterson answer was Peterson's answer was so good the, the, about because he he weaves he he manages to weave in his definition of belief or what he thinks about belief and like a bit about what he thinks about God, even just generally stated as like this most transcendent, most valuable thing that, that in which we are embedded and which kind of conditions all of reality. But um, um, even without a more specific description of what he actually means by God, there's a, there's a, a like a, a really deep insight into, into just uh, human nature and reality itself that, that, uh, that that's embedded into that. Uh, into, into his answer, and he, his answer reminded me of something um, that I that came across a few years ago, and um, it was kind of it, it kind uh, it kind of left me more like more impressed with Peterson because um, he what I what I think he essentially did was he distilled what what is probably like the essence of Christianity whether he knew it or not and and how he got there or not is that, that that's why it kind of impressed me it's because I'm pretty sure like he never quotes the letters of Paul for instance or very rarely he's he usually focuses either on the gospels or the you know the old testament in in his public discussions of of Christianity or or um you know the the nature of religion on the western mind and but that the that idea of belief in god and the the um the things that 
the things that go along with belief. That is that really is at the heart of how Christianity was started, because that is the heart of um, the the like the the message that Paul gave that essentially birthed Christianity in Paul's letters. So the what I what I was referring to was this book. Um, I think we mentioned it on the show before, Paul and the Stoics, um, by Trolls Engberg Peterson. Um, no relation <laughs> to Jordan Peterson. Um, but first, like to get into that, well, I just want to get into it a little bit, and um, I'll read a couple paragraphs from Engbert Peterson. But um, first, I want to read a section from one of Paul's letters. Um, this is from Galatians 5, uh, chapter 5. And just as a background, um, he's going to mention like the word spirit a couple times. Like, do you have the, the spirit? Like, the, you know, what's become in um, like Catholic dogma, the Holy Spirit. And there's a, it's not included in here, but the background to this, uh, Engberg Peterson argues, is that faith is kind of, faith goes along with what Paul calls the spirit. Like when you have faith, then you basically have access to the spirit. And the two are kind of like intertwined. So the more faith you have, like the more spirit you'll have, and the more spirit you have, the stronger your faith will be. But those two concepts are kind of um, like inextricably intertwined in some way. So this is what, um, um, I'll just call him T.E.P., um, are, uh, this is what he calls like the, the core of, of Paul's gospel and the core of this letter. It's embedded actually in just in the beginning, in this beginning paragraph, but I'm going to read three, three paragraphs. So he says, or he writes, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for, self-indul- in, for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For for these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now, the works of flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Uh, By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one one another, envying one another. So within this is actually embedded that that idea of of belief having certain... um, certain correlated behaviors that, that must go along with it. And so he, he says that like um, by the end there. So for those who belong um, to Christ Jesus, what he's saying is that like those who truly do have faith, those who truly believe um, what they say they believe, they've actually, they have crucified the passions and the desires. And so this is what Peterson was saying in his, in his talk. Um, it wasn't in the clip, but he basically, um, like in that discussion, he says, if, if a person truly believed in God, their, their personality would be transformed. They would be living in such a way that all of that dead wood would be burned off, 
they would be living, they would essentially be living um, or like fulfilling their true potential, being the best version of themselves they can possibly be and having like the best influence on the, like the entire environment around them um, as is possible in this world. Um, that's what Paul is saying too. Um, so he's saying that if we, if we live by the Spirit, um, let us also be guided by the Spirit. He's essentially saying like, um, if you if you believe these things, like if you have faith and if you have like the spirit, because the two go together, you will be behaving like this. So um, I'll just I'll read what um, TEP has to say about that because it's um, well it's his idea and he says it pretty well. So he's giving like what he calls the solution to the problem um, because um, like within the letters of Paul, it's evident that like that having what he calls Christ faith, having this faith means that you are sinless, that you're essentially like perfect in some way. But the, the problem is that he's writing these letters and he's telling all of these people who presumably have the Christ faith that they're getting it wrong and they're engaging in all these like bad behaviors. And so he's trying to exhort them to um, essentially become better Christians. And so, um, uh, Angra Peterson says that this is that the solution goes something like this. So whether Christ believers will act properly or not depends on whether they will let themselves be led by the Spirit. But they will not be able to do this unless they have grasped, grasped and understood that acting properly constitutes the actual content of being led by the Spirit. In his Paranesis, which is basically, basically like his teaching method, Paul therefore spells this out to them. He aims to make them see that living in the spirit consists in having the other directed mental states, like mental states directed to other people as opposed to oneself, and that's like the flesh, towards one's own passions and like one's selfish passions and desires. As a, yeah, so as opposed to being commanded by the law to do or not do certain act types and acting on them, acting on those mental states. And this total crucifixion of the flesh constitutes the true content of having come to belong to belong to Christ. However, as we know, his activity of spelling this out has the form of reminding them of something they, in a way, already know and appealing to them to remember it. For Paul presupposes all through that they, in some way, do live in the Spirit and basically do see themselves as belonging to Christ. The rationale for this use of perinesis understood in this way is therefore that if they want to come and to if they come to see and grasp that what Paul has spelled out to them constitutes the actual content of belonging where they already belong then they will let themselves be led by the spirit in the way Paul has described this and then they will uh, and then they no longer will indeed no longer can act improperly so um so he, so Paul essentially is looking is taking it uh, or did take it from kind of the opposite um the opposite side of Peterson. So Peterson's saying uh, like essentially who has the like the gall to say they believe in God when they aren't acting as if they believe in God and they can't possibly because they aren't perfect yet. Paul is saying, well, if you believe, if you say you believe, and he's, he's kind of taking them at their word to a belief, to, to a degree. If you say it, if you if you say you believe it, then make sure your actions line up with your uh, with your statements, with your with your stated beliefs. And that's the, that's his teaching method that uh, you know TEP gets into. That's the that's the way in which he is able to um, 
to teach people is it's it's kind of like a um, like a psychological trick almost. He's saying, well, okay, here's these things that you believe. Now, in order to get you to be a better person, I'm going to to kind of question you a bit and say, well, do you believe this? Yes, I believe this. Well, if you believe that, then why are you doing this? If you actually believed in in, in what you say you believe, then here's all of the behaviors that go along with that belief, and you're not doing that. So you're obviously not living up to to that belief. So in a slightly different way, they're saying the like the same things that there is this this uh, like inextricable link between um, a certain belief, and in, in Paul's case, it's not belief in God, but it's belief in um, like Christ and the and the, the the story of Christ, the 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 story of the of the crucifixion, and uh, and the, and with you know with Peterson, it's the statement of you know belief in God more generally. Of course, you know one is embedded in the other in the Christian tradition. But um, but for Paul, that what that means is if you believe that story of the of the crucifixion, if you believe that as a as kind of like either a um, well, from my perspective, if you believe it as like a like an archetypal reality, something that is true in some sense, in some important sense, then it will have to apply to yourself. If you truly believe, then that means you are that that you have essentially participated in the crucifixion, and for Paul, that means that you have crucified the the lower part of yourself those selfish parts of yourself that are that are concerned with um like the 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 lower values on the on the grand uh, the grand hierarchy of value um and that the what like an, uh, an unavoidable part of of being a participant in the in the crucifixion is to have those parts of you burned off to have them crucified so that you are this um this best version of yourself where where you are able to to behave and act in your life in such a way as to be in alignment with those higher values. And so like, so when um, this is why, um, well, I think that like some strains of Christian theology go deeper than, than even Peterson is willing to go um, like in public because Peterson isn't, isn't stating like a, like a, a full, like systematic, you know, philosophy or metaphysic or like theology about the way everything fits together. But that's what the Christians were doing. That's what Paul was doing. He was saying that this is all together so that when, when you have this ideal, and this is something that Peterson gets into in the talk too, this idea of the ideal you, this, this kind of unity that exists um, over and above the, like the multiplicity of the con- contradictory parts of your own consciousness, that there is, this, there is this unity that puts them all together, but there's also this unity to which you're striving, that you're trying, like, that it's a unity, like, into which you're trying to fit and conform, like, all of those contradictory parts. You're trying to get them all to behave in a, in a coherent and compatible way to be consistent with that ideal, and that is your potential. That's, and that's the, and that's the thing, like the thing to which you are striving, the, the thing to which we're all striving. And in the Christian tradition, that would be um, like, or the, in the Christian tradition, like the achievement of that potential, when that happens, that, that you, that ideal is kind of like, a, um, um, like a, an as above, so below, like, um, like, microcosm it's a microcosm of the macrocosm that you is in alignment that potential you is uh, will by its very nature be in alignment with the grand potential of of the universe with like with god's nature so that's where the idea of like god's will comes from it's like it's not it's not god's will in the sense of 
like do what I say. Here's here's the rules. Just like when Peterson is giving advice, it's not it's not you're a bad person and here's here's what you have to do. It's like it's here's the things you need to do in in order to actually be uh, to live your life in accordance with nature. Like to to use a Stoic idea, it's like it's not it's not the you know the school marm attitude. It's the well here's the way things work. Here's what you're going to have to do in order to to get your life in order. Um, so it's not 12 rules like this. It's 12. It's 12 rules that well. This is the way the way the world works, and this is what this is what you have to do in order to to get in alignment with objective reality. And that's essentially the same thing as the as the Christian idea of of like God's will. It's like God's will is here's the way the the universe is structured, like ethically and morally. Here's the the hierarchy of values that exists, whether you can see it or not, and uh, whether you like verbally. Um, admit that it exists or not. Here's the order of the universe, and here is what here are the thing. Here's the way you have to behave in order to be in alignment with that objective reality. Here are the things that will work, and here are the things that won't work. The things that won't work are like those, uh, you know, passions and you know, fleshly desires that Paul was laying out. Um, you know, like uh, like licentiousness, jealousy, anger. It's like all of those, all of those things that not only like destroy your own soul, but then bring, but bring conflict with the people around you, and so not only destroys your life, but makes the lives of those around you a little bit worse too, or a lot worse. But when you are in alignment with, you know, in the Christian tradition with God's will, it's like that's where you kind of like you you are in alignment with reality, where what you do now um, contributes to the to the betterment of the whole. Um, and that's that's essentially what Peter the, the idea that Peter's Peterson has been getting across for you know all these last years that he's been in the public eye and Elon previously when he wasn't you know just with his students and and with all of his uh, um, um, uh, you know, uh, the people that he deals with in his clinical practice or dealt with it's to to get people to to inspire people to um, adjust their lives in like from at like from the the most tiniest dis- decisions, the most mundane and like seemingly inconsequential decisions, um, in order to get them on the path of not only um, creating a better self, but but expanding that sphere of betterment, right? And how he often puts it, it's like what's good for you, what's good for your family and your friends and your community and your society and and the world, and expanding that out. This is what the the kind of universalist Christian tradition expands it out to to the whole universe. It's like what you what you do actually does matter, and the decisions you make will have a um, an influence, a change. It'll it, a change for the better or, or the worse of the entire future course of of reality, essentially of the universe. So um, so that's kind of like well, that's why I'm often so impressed with Peterson, even if I don't agree with everything he says. Is that like you can tell that he's thought deeply about about the things that he talks about. And when he when he has an insight, it's like it'll be because it seems to be well because I think it is well for for those insights that I think are true. I think that the reason they're true, um, uh, well, no, I'll, I'll say I'll rephrase that. The th- thing, the insights that he have that he has have relations to totally seemingly unrelated um, concepts and applications and ideas. And I think the reason that they have those applications is because they are true. So he's able to kind of like through through his own unique path arrive at a certain truth that others have uh, like come to at the same time, but from a completely different direction. So that's why with this whole like 
uh, potential actuality thing. Like he he's identified that just through his own experience and through his own reading, but primarily through his own experience. When this is a like a conclusion that has you know been reached by you know philosophers he's never read or heard of, and um, and then these insights about like the you know the nature of God and and belief that are like embedded in the Christian tradition that he doesn't really make reference to. Um, but that are but that are there. But he's seem he's he has seemingly approached them from a completely different angle. Which, well, that's just to sum up why I why I find that kind of so impressive. And I think something that ties in with what you were just saying, especially with uh, Paul's uh, discussion of um, you know the powers of the flesh and the desires of the flesh, um, and also being guided by spirit, was something that he that Peterson was talking about. Uh, with regards to um, the psychoanalysts with, you know, you have mm-hmm. all of these uh, competing desires where you're not just, you know, you and you have total control over you. Mm-hmm. There is like a, a unitary you, but within that is just the giant mishmash of yeah. all kinds of different desires and, and uh, preferences and whatnot. Yeah. And the other thing that he was talking about uh, with that at the very beginning was Socrates and his daemon, mm-hmm. you know, his, his inner guiding voice, which you could call, you know, the spirit of Paul, mm-hmm. essentially, uh, to help guide you along in the process of integrating uh, all of the competing uh, desires and, you know, faculties of, of you uh, towards something, in, in Paul's case, that you say you believe, which is, you know, I believe in the story of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so like, okay, so here's how you can take all of those things and, and piece them together such that it, it warrants or justifies, or I'm not sure what the correct word would be for it. Um, but you embody basically, mm-hmm. uh, the belief fully. So it's, you're not a hypocrite and people can trust you and take you at your word Mm -hmm. because now they know that your word is, is solid because you've shown in your actions Mm -hmm. that not only do you say this, but then you do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, that was a good point. I hadn't, I hadn't made that connection either that in the, in the talk, he actually, when he was talking (laughs) about the psychoanalyst, you know, and that multiplicity that really is, what Paul's describing too. So the mm-hmm. psychoanalysts just, you know, they just rediscovered the, 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 the things that were embedded in the, like the language of religion, um, the kind of often, often symbolic, often inscrutable and, um, often misunderstood language of, of religious traditions that mm-hmm. there are these competing, competing impulses and, you know, passions and desires in us. Those are those like the, that multiplicity that he talks about and they're, they're in conflict with each other and they're contradictory mm-hmm. and they often, if left to their own devices will lead us down well they they do lead us down like bad pathways i mean that's what that's what that's how lives are destroyed mm-hmm. um you know through addiction and uh, you know ve- vengeance and you know bitter uh, bitterness and resentment and all, and it's all these things it's not until you started talking about paul and bringing it up that it like yeah. flashed into my mind as being like oh now i understand why he brought all of these yeah. things up because i was just kind of like well he's all over the place yeah, which yeah. he normally is um and I'm just kind of like, how does, how does, you know, why is this here? I mean, like, I can kind of see, but then, yeah, when you brought yeah. up Paul and everything, it just kind of all came together. It's like, ah, okay, now mm-hmm. I can get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I wanted to say about that. Um, 
what 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 else in this talk was kind of like uh jumped out at you guys um did you make any other interesting points well the one thing or another thing that um i thought was particularly worth noting or at least mentioning again uh, in his discussion or description of socrates and his life he makes an interesting or draws an interesting conclusion where he notices that, or Socrates, you know, after he, he's told to leave um, the city that he was in because they didn't like that he was corrupting the youth with truth, um, you know, he's always tried to listen to his daemon or his conscience, and the conscience told him not to leave, and so he's like, well, you know, maybe it's worse to just let you know roll over than to die and so he was able to gracefully let go of life mm -hmm. and so it was what peterson said was like maybe there's something to be said for a life that is lived to the extent or to in a way that you're not missing out on opportunities or you're not listening to your conscience and you're you're actively doing the best that you can and listening to your conscience and and acting on it and if you do that then at the end of your life it's just kind of like okay yeah i'm done you've you've lived your life you've lived it well essentially it sounds cliche but to the fullest mm -hmm. like so socrates had lived his life to the fullest mm -hmm. and experienced everything that well, he he'd experienced enough life and in such a way that um, that to to that the choice that he made was the right choice, and it made sense, you know, mm -hmm. as the culmination of his life. But I think that even Peterson said that 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 in itself is contextual, like for Socrates's life, like he'd lived his life. That mm -hmm. might not have been the right decision to make when he was like sixteen, yeah, right, because he he hadn't encountered all that potential. He hadn't he hadn't developed the potential him into the like the the Socrates that he became, and. Um, yeah, just thought I'd add that. Well, did you, Corey? You had some stuff on like uh, bringing this to some things that Collingwood discussed, right? Because we discussed mm -hmm. Collingwood. So, um, and in Speculum Mentis, I believe he talks a lot about religion. So, did you have anything to say about the connections there? Uh, yeah, I could just. Uh, I think I might read a couple passages from Collingwood's book. Uh, I think it was the philosophy of religion. I can't remember the title right off the top of my head. He's got a number of works on religion. He's got at least one book dedicated to the philosophy of religion and how it and what role it plays in the world. And so I wanted to read this quote because just in terms of the question, do you believe in God? And just what we've been talking about it, Collingwood has something really interesting to say. He says, the determination of what I believe about God or about anything else is not a different thing from the question whether that belief is true. To believe a thing is to regard it as true, and to attach a meaning to a word, to believe that this and no other is the right meaning, is to assert that the thing which you so name exists, and exists in this form and no other. Nor can we escape this conclusion by quoting the time-honored in instance of the dragon, in which, it is supposed, we attach a meaning to a word without believing that the thing so named really exists. For dragons do exist in fairyland, and it is only in fairyland that the word has any meaning. Which I thought was extremely, which was one aspect of why Peterson probably doesn't like to be asked such a question, because it is, if, they, if you know, you're asked, do you believe in God, and then 
implicit in that is, do you know God? Do you act? Do you actually have enough knowledge to know that your belief in God is true? That you know what the highest God in the entire of the entire universe is, mm-hmm. and on what can you possibly base yeah. this belief? I mean, obviously, we base these beliefs on authority. For the most part, we base the belief on things that we were told through, you know, stories or through church and through culture, or we base our disbelief on similar through, you know, through friends or through, you know, atheist book clubs or, you know, through different things. But at the same time, you know, authority has its place because we can't possibly understand these things in a one person's lifetime. You know, you have to you have to take some things you know, based on authority, but at the same time to say without the slightest hint of humility, oh, I believe because I know, you know, I know for sure. Well, are you really, are you really saying that you believe in God or are you talking about fairyland God, as Collingwood says? Mm-hmm. Is this the fairyland God that exists in your imagination? It's like a fairy tale world version of God that, you know, looks down on you and loves you and, you know, uh, Jesus take the wheel, you know, the kind of, the kind of God that's just like, Oh, it's hard times. I'm just going to step back and let God take care of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that, well, or do you, are you believing in what Jordan Peterson is, is, is talking about when he kind of sidesteps this big issue of, of the death of God, you know, you know, it's like in this modern age, you know, so many people are so materialistic. So, you know, like I need physical evidence, hard evidence. And, you know, he's saying, well, I believe I act as if it is true because it is better for everyone involved if, if I do. And I, and because of my experience and from what I understand and know about the way the world works. And as a psychologist, obviously he has plenty of reason to, to, to have this, this belief. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that was really, I think the only thing that I, I wanted to say from calling was just because it was just so it, it just fit so perfectly with mm. what Peterson had to say. Well, that uh, there's, uh, I mentioned earlier that one of the motivations for asking that question is to um, just as a, a means of testing whether you're in the same club or not. But there's another, probably within that 90% that I mentioned, there's probably maybe, maybe a large chunk of that that is asking, um, do you believe in fairy tale God, you know, fairyland God, like that would be an atheist asking, um, asking Peterson. Mm-hmm. As in, do you really believe in God? Mm-hmm. Like, are you really saying that you you're you know some um, you know superstition uh, superstitious you know nobody who who believes these fairy tales? So that too is kind of a, a trick question coming from a per, you know a certain type of person. Um, so you can have it from both ends of the spectrum. So not only not, not only do you have to dodge the questions from the the true believers that are that are just trying to get a, a statement of faith from you uh, to know that you're on their side. You also have the the people who are challenging you, like, "Oh, do you really believe in like you know Bigfoot and aliens?" It's kind of like uh, <laughs> that's a whole other topic. But <laughs> dragons, dragons is a better one. So then it's like at, at that point, it's like, are you open minded? Are you an open minded person? You know, can we talk about all these crazy things together? Yeah, that's another variation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, he had a, of course, I, I recommend, you know, all our listeners and viewers to actually watch the talk um, or listen to it because he, you know, he, as usually has a lot of interesting things to say. Um, one was interesting. He talked about, uh, like, he didn't use the words, but he talked about bad luck. 
Um, and that is that as an example of the way that kind of subconscious beliefs and the, that multiplicity of contradictory parts in you can like influence the, the, the way that your uh, life goes, the, like the life that you essentially create for yourself, for yourself, whether you're aware of it or not. And so of course, being a clinical psychologist, this, this is um, right up his alley um, because that's what people tend to do. They tend to, based on um, like unconscious, um, unconscious beliefs and motivations to, to bring about certain effects in their lives, to bring about certain um, situations and results and outcomes that they don't like consciously, but which they are subconsciously pushing themselves towards as a kind of like testing or, or, um, or, you know, fulfillment of, of this unconscious desire or motivation. And he, uh, one of the examples he gives was like, um, the, the, the example of like the, the guy who has terrible luck with women and, um, and, and it's always, it's like, it's always the woman's fault and something happens and they just, he can't, he can't, uh, can't have a relationship, can't deal with women. It's like all the women are out to get him. And he's like, well, if that happens, chances are, you know, chances are, maybe not in all cases, but in the vast majority of cases, it's not them, it's you. It's like so there's something that you are doing to bring this situation about. You are essentially creating your own hell. Um, and and that, that's one of the, the goals of psychotherapy is to... to to get people to realize how, like the hell that they're creating and how they're creating it so as to try to you know get out of that hell and create something a little bit better and this that uh this ties back to the discussions we had this discussions we had about um first sight like john uh, james carpenter's book and uh, also uh, like you know stephen browdy's stuff on sci and like the the ways in which um and not even the the kind of uh, like parapsychological aspects of it, but this really just just uh, this really does apply just on a basic psychological level that that we influence the world around us and we influence the sh- the shape of our lives, you know whether we're aware of it or not. And oftentimes the things that we don't like about our lives we're influencing in such a way to bring the, exactly those things about. Um, again, whether we know it or not, and um, it's through the the process of um, of bringing those implicit and um, unconscious uh, motivations to light that we're then able to kind of more, more accurately um, shape our lives, you know, in a different direction. And that, well, that's why I think that, you know, whether it's psychotherapy or, um, or, you know, Christian theology or any other kind of, like philosophy or system that they they all kind of have these convergences, which is, um, which comes down comes back to that first quote that we had from Peterson about the nature of the nature of experience and the nature of consciousness. It's like they all come back to this that we that we are um, like um, individual beings that are are interacting with this this world. Uh, this world of like actuality, other actualities, other beings, but also with pure potential, and that it is up to us um, to to determine what potential we bring into actuality, which which potentials we actualize, and that has a very real, um, a very tangible um, and concrete 
um, like result in our in our lives. Those are the lives we live. Those those are the decisions we make. Those are the the futures that we come to embody and come to bring about. Those are the like the outcomes and the results and the 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 goals that we either um, um, achieve or don't achieve. It's like it, it all it all comes back to this to this moment, like this present, this eternal present that we all have of actualizing uh, the potential. And that, so the question then becomes, well, what, what potential will you actualize? What world will you bring into being? And your beliefs will have a, a large, uh, you know, will have, well, if not a large, like the, the entire um, effect of, you know, what that, what that will be. And, um, so this question, this question of you know belief in God, or whether you look at it from this religious angle, or whether you look at it from the psychological angle, um, it, it it all has to do with um, un, with coming to understand. Uh, well, to come back to Socrates, to to know thyself, to know thyself in the in and the place which you occupy between the past and the and the future between. The, the past choices and decisions that you've made and the the future ones to understand why what happened in the past happened how your choices how your how your beliefs and how your how all of the those the multiple uh, how that multiplicity of of acknowledged or un, un, unacknowledged parts of yourself has contributed to the the life that you have shaped for yourself until now and then through an through a like a rigorous like questioning of that of that past to then ask yourself the question, uh, well, do, do I want to continue all that? Do I want my, my future life to just be a reproduction of all the choices and decisions and you know, outcomes that I've had in the past? Or is there something I can change? And is there, is there something I could change? And what do I really want? What's the future that I'm looking towards? Um, what, what is the ideal that is, like, that is somehow pulling me towards it? Um, did, like and how do I ch- how do I achieve that ideal? That's it, it. All comes down to kind of this this same um, uh, just the same picture of the world, which is essentially like Peterson likes to say, it's a narrative structure. It's a it's a story in which you place yourself. It's one that has a, a trajectory. It's got it's got a, a like a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, in some sense, it's got a like a past that that has already been set in stone to one degree or another but then what you can do with that past what you can create about that past what you can change in the present in order to get off a certain trajectory and that would be like the trajectory trajectory of like the hero the person that that achieves the goal and um and actualizes that that full potential to the greatest degree possible and i think um, I think that's why I, you know, I appreciate what Peterson is doing, and that's why I also appreciate, like, um, you know, the, all of these ideas that are embedded within uh, the Christian, within the Christian tradition. Because if you look for them, they're there, and they can act as that, um, um, they can act as that same kind of Im, uh, impetus or like impulse towards, um, towards the, you know, that good, that that future potential ideal, and um, hopefully, you know, make things a little bit better than they are at the present. And there's something with that that I really appreciate, you know, because I had a very religious upbringing and, you know, one of the things that uh, frequently got brought up was the idea that we are all made in the image of God. And there's all kinds of speculation, you know, that I've heard from various pastors and preachers and none of them really, 
they just didn't really get to the crux of the matter. Mm-hmm. They they really didn't, uh, I guess, address the question. You know, how are we made in the image of God? What and what does that mean? And it it just nothing nothing that I ever got with you know the religious community ever addressed it in the way that Peterson brings up with consciousness. Being made in the image of God means that you are like God was able to do, create order out of chaos. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, like this is the religious answer that I was like, yeah. this one actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. So Cool. Well, on that note, I think we'll call it quits for today. So thanks for watching, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. See ya.